0: Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 66. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I'm joined by the doctor. Hello, Rob. Hey, Joe. How's it going?
1: Doing great. Hey, you want to hear a cool sound? Please. Okay, ready? Let's see if you can hear this. Ready? What is that? That is the sound of keys. No, that is the sound of chainmail. Chainmail, yeah. Last week, my daughter's like, "Hey, Dad, I want to learn how to make chainmail." Sweet. <laughs> so, like, well, I don't know. So, we got on YouTube. We did a couple of videos. Like, I can do this. And uh, downstairs, I had some um, electric fence wire downstairs, and we started making spindles and rolling it up and cutting it and bending the thingies and figuring out how to how to join the rings together. That's really tricky, but. Yep, now we have a little uh, chainmail assembly line going.
0: That is so cool. It takes an a awful lot of time and energy, but I, I know it's really cool. Uh, you know, that was the one time I got gypped on a purchase on eBay was I ordered a chainmail shirt. It cost me like 300 bucks, and the guy Whoa. never mailed it.
1: Oh, suck. Yeah. Oh, sorry, man.
0: But I love chainmail. I, I, I was actually wearing a costume for a children's program, and I was volunteering in the program, and I wanted to look authentic for the part. Yeah, man. So, she got something in mind? Are you going to do a whole outfit with this stuff?
1: I, I, I believe so, yes. Her her older sister was making one out of pop tabs. And she's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a real one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you go, girl. And which means that I am making most of it, but it's okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that was one of the funniest things when... Learning about the behind the scenes for the Lord of the Rings films was that the costume department, that the the women that were responsible for creating those little rings and putting them together, they lost their fingerprints for all the chainmail <gasps> that they put together for the Lord of the Rings trilogy because wow. just holding those ringlets and I, I could imagine weaving them
1: and looking at how they did it in medieval times, how long it took. Because I'm I'm not doing it like they did it. They would actually. Join the rings, flatten the ends, and drive a rivet through it.
0: Oh, whoa!
1: I'm just taking a pair of pliers and closing the ring. Right. Now, I'm not riveting it or flattening it. I mean, it, yeah, I'm doing the cheap, cheap way. But then I'm going to figure out how to brighten up the um, the rings. Uh, trying to figure out like, what's the strongest acid in my house. <laughs> vinegar. Do know? Yeah, lemon juice is actually more acidic than vinegar. But I, you know, I've heard that Coca Cola is like the world's best cleaner, so I just might go buy a bottle of Coke and
0: you know we could do a whole episode about household cleaners and how good coca-cola is compared to drano or who knows what
1: we might have to do some experimenting yeah okay how to kill yourself in the kitchen no we don't want to do that no 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 no, no. there are plenty of ways to make toxic chemicals in your home (laughs) wow
0: i love this topic so much All right, well, (laughs) speaking of interesting topics, you wanted to bring this up because there was a milestone made for nuclear fusion?
1: Yes, 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 yes. We've been working on nuclear fusion for decades, spending billions and billions of dollars. They keep on making these fusion reactors and they make another fusion reactor and another fusion reactor and we've never once had fusion energy. But they know they can do it, they just never actually have. huh? But what they did was they... They took um, hydrogen, took deuterium and tritium, and if you put it in a magnetic, sealed, basically heat it up really hot and get it go in a circle, and put a bunch of magnets around it, and you can get this plasma of hydrogen flowing in a toroidal circular thing that's not touching the walls of any anything because if you touch anything, it'll melt. It gets so hot.
0: This kind of sounds like Tony Stark's fusion device, power source. Well, if he,
1: if he has a fusion device, then this is exactly what this is. But it, once you start fusing hydrogen atoms, you get helium and an awful lot of heat. You actually get the sun. This is what happens at the center of the sun. So, we can make fusion. We can do it. We, we have fused these atoms. we produce a lot of heat. They're like, yeah, we can do this. But we've never done it such that it gets more energy out than you put in. So you, know, you take a match, right? You light a match, you throw it on a bonfire. You get a lot more heat coming out of the bonfire than a little bit of match heat that you put in, right? hmm Well, this would be like you would have to have a bonfire to run a little campfire. All that energy from the bonfire channeling down to keep a couple little sticks warm. That's what so far we've done with fusion reactors. We had to put a lot of energy into it, and yeah, we can get the fusion to happen, but we don't get as much energy out as we put in. But what these guys did is they used lasers to get it more energy out than energy in for the first time ever. And this is really amazing and really cool. And if you couple that with this sort of, let's call magnetic levitation of, of this super hot fluid of hydrogen or plasma of hydrogen, we might actually have a fusion reactor sometime in the next decade or 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I, I remember now, I, so it says on the internet, it must be true, that Iron Man suit was powered by an arc reactor, a, a type of fusion power source oh, featuring yeah. a palladium core.
1: Oh yeah, palladium, because you know. <laughs> it sounds legit. <laughs> yeah, use big words, anything's legit, right? <laughs>
0: an obtanium, ultramanium, yes, yes, yes. you know. Those are on the periodic table, right?
1: Uh, oh yeah, they're on the, other, the flip side of the periodic table. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, under, the underside of our light placemats for our dinner on the table.
1: Well, take your periodic table and turn it over. Yeah. And you see this blank slate? That's where all the hidden stuff is. Oh,
0: cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fascinating story. I'm glad, to, I'm glad that we're making some progress. Yeah. I, I know we're not going to be powering any of our own rocket packs with these things anytime soon, but I would be pretty excited if I could get a rocket pack like that. I may not go to Mars, but I wouldn't mind having man-made powered flight suit. Rocketeer was one of my favorite films.
1: Yeah, but, 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 a pocket-sized fusion reactor ain't gonna happen. I mean, so far, we're building these things the size of a city block.
0: Oh, yeah, that's pretty big. And I remember in the Spider-Man 2, there was that Dr. Octavius was trying to make a little sun of his own with a fusion reaction of some kind. And that went belly up, and that turned him into Doc Ock. So, see how that turned out.
1: Yeah, yeah, bad stuff, man. Don't mess with fusion. <laughs> Sci, <laughs> Sci- fi is not where we are with Equinox. We are about science. Right. Yes. yes but it so.
0: is pretty cool when the ideas sound like something out of science fiction. Speaking of which, we're not going to talk about science fiction today, but we are going to talk about a film. You want to talk about that film?
1: Yes. Film that I have seen and you have now seen? Yes. Pretty exciting. And the film was called? Apollo 11.
0: Awesome film. That I was IMAX. incredible. Really? It would have been glorious in IMAX.
1: Yeah, it was, wow. it was glorious. In fact, I, I said, I have to see this in IMAX. And I was on a trip for CMI somewhere. Don't remember where I was. But I said, oh, there's an IMAX theater there. Oh, I'm going. There I was. Late at night, watching this most awesomest of movies.
0: I saw the trailer for this at the time and re- remarking, that is a film worth seeing. But then it did, just didn't occur to me to see it in the theaters for the IMAX experience. But it would make a huge difference
1: it could have been really dumb. It could have been very badly executed. It, it, it required craft and artistry to, make, to really pull it off well. And man, he did. He did a great job. Who was the director of that? I don't remember his name. Todd Douglas Miller. That's right.
0: Yeah. So if you're wondering, we gave you a little homework at the end of the last episode. We said that we would be talking about Apollo 11 this week. And if you haven't seen it, we can't really spoil it because it's uh, the it's events of the Apollo here. 11. <laughs> yes, it's over 50 years old. So it is a look at Apollo 11's mission to land on the moon, led by Commander Neil Armstrong and pilots Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins. And it basically stars only archive footage. So you're getting the real Neil, <laughs> Michael, Buzz, and a bunch of people at NASA, the spectators that were watching it on the uh, you know near the launch site. Oh, it's so cool because all of it was just the original footage. And Rob, it was like the footage In the original was,
1: soundtrack. Yes. It recordings like this, of guys in Mission Control just talking that no one had heard since that recording was made. Yeah.
0: It was like this footage was recorded for this documentary. So, it's, it's mm. astonishing that they didn't already have it made.
1: Well, the fact that he took all of that and laid it out in a track or multi-tracks and laid it out on top of each other. So he could go back and forth between this guy talking, that guy talking, this video, that video, skipping around that what What a cool idea,
0: yeah, so it basically follows the events from the morning of the launch, and it feels like at the beginning it's set in real time it's not really in real time, but they certainly do an excellent job of pacing so you feel like yeah. you can get all the vantage points from inside uh, inside of you know Houston, but also alongside of the astronauts on the rocket and Whatever the, the, I want to say, the spectators are doing, and you know obviously we're not going to sit around for the duration of an entire moon mission, but in an hour and a half, let's see, it's, uh, it's an hour and 33 minutes long. It really feels like they showed so much, and I learned so much, and everything I got to review was excellent as well. It's not a bad delivery at all. No,
1: it was great. Highly recommend. Two thumbs up.
0: Yeah, two thumbs up. Who do you think should watch this movie?
1: Um, If anyone is listening to our Equinox podcast, they would be fans of this movie. (laughs) I agree. And if they're not fans of this movie, I would seriously question their their participation here. But I wouldn't want to say that because I don't want to drive anybody away. Just saying, (laughs) (laughs) you know, listeners, you know.
0: So the film came out in 2019. And it could have flown under the radar because it is a documentary. And a lot was going on in 2019, if you remember. It's a good film. Uh, you ought to see it. It's timeless. And we thought we would watch it around this time of year because we were thinking about the Apollo mission when uh, it rolled around, uh, the anniversary rolled around in July. However,
1: before we talk about a film film, which we've mm-hmm. covered quite a bit, we have three different directions we could go here. Please, please. We could go through the history of the Apollo program in brief. We could go through the question of how do you actually get to the moon, because there's some things that documentary skipped over that I actually had to look up, it's like, oh, that's what they did. And then there's an analysis of the film itself. Yeah. You want to finish up the analysis of the film since we're halfway through? Yeah, sure. So, right. uh, yeah,
0: to explain again, this is archival footage. And what they have done is they've masterfully handled it so that it looks like high quality cinematic footage, uh, like color grading and lighting, the way they have handled the footage.
1: I'm sure they clean up the sound a lot too.
0: Yeah. Whenever they talk about old films and restoring them today for the classic movies channel or something, and you see the, the finished product and you see this much higher quality cut of it's a wonderful life than whatever you used to watch on television. It's sort of like that. But they certainly did a masterful job with it. I don't know what the footage looked like to begin with, but however they handled it was impeccable. There's no complaints here.
1: Yeah. And what, what he did was he, he was asking around and somehow he, he came upon a treasure trove. I don't know if it was at Kennedy. It was probably in Houston. I guess some of it might have been at Marshall Space Flight Center in, um, in Alabama, but probably in Houston. And I think I might have gotten those words confused. But anyway, the three places it could have been, I think most of it was in Houston because that's where the um, where, where the launch control is, which is really weird. You think that, you know, they're launching, not launch control, launch control is at Kennedy. But the mission control is in Houston. And, you know, they're, they're launching a rocket from Florida and they're controlling the mission from Texas. This is very strange. But once you have something up in space, you know, it doesn't matter where you control it from, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. All right. So... Somewhere there were boxes and boxes and boxes of really old film and really old recordings and that would not have been on CD, it would not have been on cassette, it would have been on reel-to-reel, I think. Yeah. I much, it wouldn't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what kind of recording devices they had before that. I know they had the wire things and they had a, a metal strip thing, but I'm pretty sure they would have been using reel-to-reel by that point.
0: And also the audio sources, because the whole film sounds like high quality audio. So I wonder if they fudged at all on any sound effects for maybe like the clang of some metal or somebody's walking down a catwalk. I don't know, but everything sounded so realistic that I had a hard time believing that this was fully artist work. It sounded like they were using the real deal, but if they were, how did they get some of this stuff?
1: It, it, because, no, they. Hmm? That wasn't studio recorded audio. It didn't seem like it. No, but they, they, they. Who, whoever that guy was, he's got the secret sauce. Um, he knows audio extremely well. World yeah. class.
0: Yeah, world, world class. class. Yeah. <laughs> now, now there is a couple of uh, minor nitpicks in terms of uh, authenticity. For example, I read this on IMDb. There was a, an example where Buzz Aldrin commented about uh, his biomed sensor going out. I promise I'll let you know if I stop breathing. Well, it's a funny bit in the film. It, it's great for comedic relief in a film when you depend upon what really happened and what was really said for any moments of excitement or levity like that. But- and it, it was depicted as happening before, let's like, what does it say here? Depicted as happening during the approach to the moon. But it actually okay. happened on the eighth day of the mission, which was out on their return voyage. Oh. So, it worked, it worked really well for staging of the story in the film. But, yeah, actually, it's not how it unfolded. But other than that kind of thing happening in the film, pretty close to the actual
1: circumstance. Okay. I could not imagine being cramped up in that tiny little Apollo module. I mean, they can get out of their seats. You know, they're all crammed in those seats for launch and return mm-hmm. through the atmosphere. And you can get out and get into the command module, but it's not big, right? I um, mean, it's it's knee, knees to elbows for three guys for days upon days. I, <laughs> I, I could not imagine.
0: I was explaining this to my kid because he saw the great big rocket and all the parts that we were falling away as it was burning fuel <laughs> and leaving the atmosphere.
1: Just a little piece on top.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I said it's a really. Dude, that is just the world's biggest sports car. Like, it, it's just a, it's just a, a small thing, like with a top and <laughs> holding all of this fuel to get it to the moon. It's
1: really just fuel. All of that's fuel. So, any other uh, nitpicks? Any other errors?
0: No, pretty good, pretty good. I, I want to say that uh, as far as the nitpicks go, if you had any questions, you're probably not going to get many answers because there's no commentary. There's no narration and there are no interviews in this documentary. You're just seeing the footage, and any of the things spoken is maybe like a uh, what is it called? A voiceover where it was something that Walter Cronkite said on the news or a snippet of something the president said or the astronauts said. For the most part, it's just in the context of the situation and you're, they're not going to elaborate.
1: Yeah, it did leave me a little bit in the dark or a little bit wanting more because the scientific aspects weren't explained. Yeah. But that wasn't the point. The point was shock and awe.
0: Yeah. and it Just works.
1: sit back and watch this and you're not going to believe what you see. And that's yeah. exactly how it came across.
0: And it's super for that. There's other documentaries that can give us the interviews. And then um, another, another little minor nitpick would be that just a few times there would be moments where I felt like, can the camera show me a better shot? Can I see this happening? And it, it doesn't. So Well, we, because you, it didn't exist. <laughs> exactly. So I, I know that other documentarians would have probably thrown in some CGI representation or artistic license. They would have reenacted a circumstance so that they could fill in those gaps. And this film doesn't do that. I'm okay with that. Uh, just, just a few times where it's kind of like, you know, this particular shot out the window of the Lura modules, not the greatest. Can we, can we get a better shot? But I understand that they did a remarkable job with what they had.
1: Yeah, it's not like SpaceX where you can glue a little mini camera inside your rocket, outside the rocket. You know, I mean, you got cameras everywhere in those things.
0: Yeah, no. So sometimes I was able, stopping to to explain to my wife or kids, like, I know what's going on here. I know it's kind of confusing, but this thing you're looking at on screen is this thing. And they would go, oh, we didn't know. I'm like, yeah, that's why I I told you. Because you can't tell from just looking at the footage a, a few times. Hmm. Other than that, gorgeous film. Highly recommend. All right, all right. So tell me all about. Wait, the wait, Apollo wait, 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 wait.
1: What did you watch it on? TV uh, HD. No. Mm-hmm. Netflix, Amazon. Oh, I caught it on Amazon
0: Prime. Prime. Amazon video.
1: Prime. Okay, now now people know where where to watch it. Yep. Prime Video. All right. How much did it cost you? Four
0: bucks for the rental. Four
1: bucks. That's mm-hmm. not bad.
0: Not at not all. Bad. Four people watched it. A dollar each. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do the math.
1: I like that. That's smart.
0: So, tell me all about the Apollo missions and everything that culminated with Apollo 11.
1: Well, the craziest thing. I mean, this is literally insane. In May of 1961, Jack Kennedy, the president, this is before he got assassinated, of course, he goes to Congress and he has his famous speech about putting a man on the moon by the end of the decade. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. In context, we had just... Launched Alan Shepard on the Mercury in May of 1961. So we send one guy up in one little spaceship, and two weeks later or so, the president in front of Congress saying, "Hey, we're going to put a guy in the moon." <laughs>
0: <What>? <laughs> yeah!
1: Wow! And something dawned on me just mm-hmm. just today, literally today. This wasn't his idea. Oh, good point. Yeah. It wasn't like he was like, hey, man, uh, we're going you know, to, hey, I got a great idea. NASA, well, NASA didn't exist yet. Let's put a guy in the moon. No, 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 no. They had already been planning this I mean, all the way back in Eisenhower administration. They, they didn't have the Gemini program planned. They're going, okay, we're going to go for one, the, 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 um, the Mercury missions, one guy, and then we're going to go to a three man crewed mission. It wasn't called Apollo yet. And we're going to send that to the moon. And so, he had the timetable. I mean, other smart people told him the p- timetable. He might have aggressively said "By the, before, the end of the cent- uh, before the end of the decade, uh, maybe, I'm not sure. But it w- I mean, space travel was already going to happen with or without him. Anyway, what a cool idea though.
0: Yeah. And his speech, original speech to Congress is very stirring. And I'm
1: kind of imagining, I had a couple pauses in there because I was kind of imagining that you're going to splice in some audio from that speech because, you know, it's readily available. Yep. Yep. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, they start launching rockets. Mm -hmm. The Gemini program wrapped up, I think, in 1966, I think. Um, So, you have Mercury, Gemini, Apollo. Gemini being two astronauts, Apollo being three. And while Gemini is wrapping up, They're ramping up Apollo, and so they start launching rockets of different configurations. Um, Then they invent the Saturn One rocket, then the Saturn One B rocket, and I don't know why they skipped over two, three, and four, but then the Saturn Five rocket. And there's all these different launches. Eventually, they were practicing for the first manned launch, and the astronauts said, "We're going to call this Apollo One." So all the things that came before it, you know, they didn't even count really. They were just, you know. You're just launching space junk. It's like, this is going to be Apollo 1. And in January of 1967, there was a fire and Grissom, White, and Chafee died in the rocket on the launch pad during a test. And now what? Yeah. I mean, they burned to death. This is horrible, awful, terrible. I mean, do we cancel the program? Do we, you know, pull everything apart and figure out what happened and then do a bunch of safety things and delay the program by five, maybe 10 years? Meanwhile, the Russians are trying to get to the moon. And at this time period, it was us versus the Russians and we had to beat the Russians. We had to beat the Russians. We had to beat the Russians. I saw a um, uh, YouTube documentary recently and they've got the first two guys on the moon, Aldrin and um, and Armstrong Mm -hmm. and a white shiny thing flies across the background orbiting the moon and he circles it because that's the Russian module. Oh, wow. And do I believe this? I had that. There's no reason why I, I should think this guy's lying. But it wasn't man, but it was there. We're going to get something on the moon. And that was one of their tests. And I mean, we caught it. They were, they were around the moon while we were on it. Others oh, insane. So, there's, this is the space race. Right. We had to beat the Russians. But Apollo 1, Grissom White and Chafee, January of 1967, they die in a fire. <laughs> Two and a half years later, we land on the moon.
0: I think it's also very interesting that they stayed with the Apollo name even after they died. And it was out of respect for the, uh, the astronauts' wives. They decided not to change the name of that mission so that maybe a future mission, the next attempt that was successful, was dubbed Apollo 1 in its place. And the, 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 the widows said, no, we want our husband's mission to be remembered as Apollo one.
1: Yeah. And you found that you found that link that explained that because you asked me what happened to Apollo uh, two, two and, and three? three I, like, oh, yeah. I don't know. It, yeah, is, you conf- found the it link. is confusing. Now, and, and, and it's yeah. a
0: little arbitrary why they they skipped two and three. They viewed a couple of their unmanned missions that happened uh before uh, apollo
1: yeah. one they called that. Oh, let's call that one apollo two and three but there wasn't a third one mm-hmm. they just kind of skipped over that one entirely i don't i don't understand that flow of thought no but yeah it was done in honor of those guys
0: very, very unique a- and uh, th- so the other thing i didn't realize until i started to look at the information uh just about this uh this year was how many of these uh tests these unmanned missions were happening in a very relatively small period of time. You know, the difference of like 1967, 68, 69. Like a lot of missions, a lot of rockets launched.
1: Well, they had a lot of things they needed to figure out because no one had ever done any of this before. In fact, since the last Apollo mission, no human being has been out of low Earth orbit. Wow. Not even high Earth orbit. The farthest a human being has gone, basically, is the ISS. That's it. Wow, Considering yes.
0: all the TV we watch where people are flying all over space.
1: <laughs> it feels like <laughs> that is so now, wrong. We'll get there. Just wait. Just wait. So, Apollo 4. Yeah. November 1967. So, January is a fire. In November, they launched the first Saturn V without any people on board because they needed to test if the thing could get back into Earth. Yeah. So, they launch it, all the different stages, and then they have the reentry vehicle that funny-looking teardrop thing that we all know the picture of, they had to make sure it can come back and not burn up and not self-destruct when it hits the ground and stuff like that. See, we we have this nice, you know, pseudo-soft landing in the ocean. The Russians land on ground. (laughs) What? (laughs) They just (laughs) slam into the ground. But, you know, if you're coming in fast, water and dirt has about the same impact. So, it really doesn't matter that much. It just seems I would rather land on water. It just seems softer to me. (laughs) Even if it isn't really... No, not really, no. Apollo 5, again, unmanned. More tests. January 1968. We haven't even put any guys in this thing yet. We're a year and a half away from the first successful landing. Apollo 6, April 1968. Again, unmanned. But this is the second time they launched a Saturn V. And it failed. Oh. (laughs) They had multiple engines didn't light, and then a couple of the engines they had to relight them again for the second burn, and they failed. Oh no! Wait a second. Hey, um, aren't we like just like a year away from like putting people and sending them to the moon? Yeah, well, actually, we're, we're less than that. That was April of '68. Uh. In October of '68, Apollo Seven, Shira Cunningham and Icili Icel, I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name. First crewed mission. This is less than a year away from the moon landing. First crewed mission, and it's the first time they televised things from inside the, the capsule. This is, I mean, cool. So, everything's working now. But they didn't go to the moon. They just went into space and came home again. <laughs> yeah. Apollo, it was Apollo 8, December of 1968, a month after I was born. Three, three astronauts, wow. like Borman, Lovell, and Anders went around the moon. So, they started on Earth, they went to the moon, lapped it 20 times, and came home.
0: To be those guys and not <laughs> to be so close get and out. out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, you know, to, to be an astronaut, a lot of these guys were Gemini astronauts. Some of these guys were Mercury astronauts. They reused these, yeah. these guys multiple times. Like, hey, okay, are you physically fit? Are you not sick? Okay, you're going. Okay, yes, sir. I'll go. Woo! And off, off you go. And it was just the luck of the draw sometimes. Um, but for the first people on the moon, there was a lot of psychological things that also had to be true. And they picked the cream of the crop for that one, which we are not quite there yet though. But that was Apollo 8. And that is where they got the famous moonrise picture. Or no, right. so the famous earthrise picture. Mm-hmm. They, they, they went around the backside of the moon. No one had ever seen that before. And when they came around, took a picture of the earth rising over the moon. I mean, most famous picture probably ever, or at least it should be. And we're only, what, we're um, eight months out. Wow. Apollo 9. Second crewed flight of Saturn V, but they only went around the Earth. They're just testing more things. So, Earth orbit only. That was March of 69. Apollo 10 in May of 69. The guys got in the lunar lander and took it down nine miles from the moon's surface and went back to the command module and went home. <laughs> 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 no! <laughs> to, to get that close, are Ooh, you kidding me? I know. But they. They had to the practice docking those things. I mean, when, you, when they launch this thing off in outer space, the, the command module pops up out of the rocket, it turns around, goes back, grabs the lunar lander, and then backs it out, and now they're connected. They do wow. that in space on right. the way to the moon.
0: Th- th- that is very
1: impressive. Yeah, so <laughs> lots of practice here. If something's going to go wrong, you need
0: to know it. It, it. For perspective, how fast were they going? Was it something like 22,000 feet per second or something at the time? It was oh, something it, it insane.
1: 25,000 miles an hour. Yeah. And so at that point. It, it really
0: is like a, a stunt mission from Mission Impossible. It is, <laughs> it is yeah. that. It yeah. is that remarkable.
1: <sighs> All right. That was... May of 69. July 1969. Apollo 11. Armstrong, Collins, and Aldrin. Now, Collins at one point was called the loneliest man in the universe. (laughs) Because for over 21 hours, he was not just alone in a spaceship, but half the time, or about half the time, out of radio communication with Earth because he was orbiting the far side of the moon.
0: The farthest person from everybody else in the whole universe.
1: Yeah. And you couldn't talk to any and it, wow. Ah. Scary, scary, scary. And since they did this during full moons, pretty much. Right. It was also dark on the far side of the moon. <laughs> he was in a he was in the moon's shadow and no radio communication. And then Houston oh, hey Houston, how you doing? And then and he had to sleep too. So he'd be sleeping through most through several of these loops around the moon, and then he wake up and disappear and reappear and disappear. And oh, I could not imagine. So this is 69, 52 years ago. Um, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, they finally land on the moon. How long do you think they stayed there?
0: (laughs) Okay, if I didn't know, I would have guessed maybe two days.
1: Yeah, I would have said exactly. I would have said, yeah, a couple of days. I mean, after flying that long, no, it was 21 hours. Alright, so you're on the moon for 21 hours How long oh, do you oh, think- oh,
0: by the way, that, that yeah. reminds me Another point of the documentary was that When they arrived at the moon And they were bas- uh, reviewing their flight plan and, and everything They actually said Oh, you got to the moon four minutes early Huh
1: <laughs> <laughs> Four minutes early <laughs> Yeah
0: I cracked up when I heard that They were speeding to the moon That's what they were saying
1: all right, so hey, the last section of this podcast is going to be how to get to the moon. And we'll talk about that, but that's that's I can't believe they planned it out beforehand using slide rules. How many hours <sighs> and minutes would take to get that <laughs> yeah. that's nuts. That's insane. Yeah. So, all right, so 21 hours on the lunar surface. How long do you think they spent outside walking around? This got me. <sighs> I had no no idea.
0: See, I would have thought that they would have gotten out for a little while, gone back in, had lunch, got back out a little while longer. Got back in, went to sleep, got up the next day, gone back out for a little bit, and then packed up everything to leave in their mobile, you know, home. Okay.
1: But At later, mm-hmm. later Apollo missions, they spent a couple days on the moon. Okay. And so, they would have done something more like that. But they're only on the surface for two and a half hours total. Dude, you wow. just flew to the moon, man. You only spent two hours exploring? What? But yeah, that, that, that's, that's how long they had. Two and a half hours on the surface. All that work, all those millions and millions of dollars to get two guys for two hours. <laughs> and it
0: would be fun to naively think that if the astronauts made an agreement amongst themselves, hey, we're going to stay a little bit longer. Houston can't tell us what to do anymore. It, it would have still had catastrophic effects on the rest of their plans for the return trip home. Uh, yeah. They had to leave when they had to leave so that they could fall yeah. in the ocean where they had to fall into the ocean at the time that they designated well, based on the pattern yeah. of everything going on, right?
1: Yeah, I guess because they didn't reinsert into Earth orbit on the way back because that would have required a lot of rocket juice to slow them down. They used the atmosphere to slow them down, and they had to do it in the right place so that they would fall in the right place. But how even did they know? I mean, that's one of the biggest mysteries to me. You launch at the Earth. How do you know what where you're going to land in the ocean to the point where the, the helicopter is right there? Right. You know, the boat's right there. It's not 100 miles away. It's right there. What? How on earth do you know that? So, hmm.
0: Some incredible mathematics.
1: (laughs) Yes. All right. So, I got a question for you. Uh Uh-huh. And this is, is, we can wrap up with this because this is really probably the most amazing thing about the whole thing. This is what I needed to figure out and what the Apollo mission, the Apollo movie didn't explain. How do you get to the moon? What do you mean? Well, once you have a rocket big enough, how do you actually get there? There was a debate in the early times, probably in the 50s, maybe even into, into early Apollo times. Do we just build a big rocket, send a guy straight to the moon, land on the moon, and have that rocket return them? Right. Like,
0: Is the rocket going to have a launch pad where it relaunches off of the moon's pad to get back yeah. to Earth? Another, Yeah, more fuel. Yeah, you, you got a explosions. rocket. It's got
1: engines. Just mm-hmm. put enough fuel in it. That you take the whole thing, land on the moon, take the whole thing, and bring it back to Earth. That well, makes they did,
0: sense. They didn't have Elon Musk back then, so I don't think that
1: eh, they that's could true. It off. Well, the second option was take the whole rocket, land on the moon, only take half the rocket back to Earth. But that means you need more than two engines, two sets of engines. Hmm. Or we do it the complicated way, which is what they did.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah?
1: Yeah. So you launch from Kennedy Space Center in Florida traveling toward the east, towards sunrise. And the reason you do that is because the direction the earth is spinning. You have to get up to 17,000 miles an hour to have a stable low earth orbit. And if you, at the the equator, the earth is spinning about a thousand miles an hour. So, you only have to get up to about, you only have to add about 16,000 miles an hour to get there instead of the full 17. Now, at 30 degrees north where Florida is, it's uh, the sign of something or other, you know. It's I don't know, let's just say sixty percent of that. So you're only moving at six hundred miles an hour. Okay, so you don't have to get, you don't have to add seventeen thousand miles of velocity. You Only have to add sixteen thousand four hundred. That saves you a lot of fuel. That's why they point out over the Atlantic Ocean, and that's why our space center is on the East Coast. Huh. yeah, cool. Yeah. So you do. So now you got your rocket in low Earth orbit. Well, you're not moving nearly fast enough to get to the moon. You got to be moving at twenty-five thousand miles an hour. Got to add another eight thousand miles an hour. Uh, that's another burn. That's another rocket. That's another strap yourself in, boys. This is gonna hurt, sort of thing. But the moon moves. You can't aim at the moon. You'd miss.
0: Right. It's just like firing off an arrow into the distance, and the target is moving. Yeah. It's got to land. You got to fire where it's headed.
1: Yeah, like if you're in Florida and you want to take a boat to the Bahamas, which a lot of people do, and they're not not always running drugs, but, you know, even normal people do this too. Right, of course. You don't look at your GPS and have it and point it at Nassau and drive there. You'll take the long way around, they call it. Because if you're always pointing at Nassau, your boat is drifting north very rapidly in the Gulf Stream. You'll make a giant curving arc to get there. No, you point it south of Nassau and you, that way you're actually moving straight across the Gulf Stream, but your boat isn't pointing in the direction that you're going. You have to fly upstream. You have to point your boat upstream. So, you go in a straight line. Well, okay, okay, that may be too confusing. Imagine this. Imagine you're in a spaceship <laughs> and you fly past the sun. Yeah. You're not going to go straight past the sun. You're going to curve. The same thing with the rocket. If you want to fly away from the Earth it's going to make you curve so you have to predict a curving path right and when you're in your low earth orbit and you start your burn you're on the other side of the earth from the moon what yeah what excuse me huh yeah because you start accelerating in, in the direction that you're traveling and you slowly get away from the earth but the earth is pulling you so you make a this long curve and literally you you you're on the opposite side of the moon, and you blast off, and you curve around, and now you're pointing not at the moon again. You're pointing into empty space, right? For a couple of days, you're flying through blackness as the moon is coming up from your right, and hopefully, you meet in the middle. In the same way that a they um, figured out someone trying to catch a football, like a, a wide receiver is running down the field, he's trying to catch a football. Well, the the path that he tends to take is a path that holds the football in the same place in his field of view. So, the football is not traveling left and right, according to his eyes. It's, it's just sitting in one spot. It goes up and it comes down and lands right in his hands.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: if it's traveling left or right at the same time, it's hard to follow it. But the relative perception is the football comes up and it just falls right down on you, even though you're running in a curvy line. Same thing with trying to hit the moon. You got to go in a curve. But here's something else. You're going at 25,000 miles an hour. Yeah. (laughs) That's too fast. The moon's orbit can't hold you. If 17,000 miles an hour is just enough to keep you from falling into the earth, even 17,000 miles an hour, you can't do that around the moon. You fly away. 25,000, forget it. You're toast. You, you, You fly off into oblivion. So, you have to slow down. But there's two things they do. They use a rocket to slow you down and they use the slingshot effect. You pass in front of the moon, and then as you curve around, the moon's gravity pulls you and actually slows you down.
0: That is so cool.
1: So it saves you a little bit of fuel again. Mm -hmm. And now you're orbiting the moon. I forget it's like thirty miles or something like that at the closest. And you're orbiting, 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 and you're like, "All right, guys, you two go get in the lunar lander and see ya." And it's a trick. You're you're orbiting, and you have to land without any sideways motion because if you have sideways motion the legs get ripped off the lander if you have any more sideways motion you just slam into a boulder and you die you have to stop and hover and then land so it's more rockets more more math but man i can't believe they did this using i mean they're just figuring stuff in their head they they didn't have what we have And so um catherine um oh what's her name from the movie um um hidden figures right um oh i just forget her name Forgive me, world. I should know. Brilliant woman, African American, super great with numbers, and basically got those guys to the moon. And she figured out how to go from a parabolic orbit to a circular orbit or an elliptical orbit. And that's a a tricky transition. So, anyway, now they're on the moon and now they have to go home. So they blast off from the moon's surface, leaving half of the lunar lander behind because why would you want to lift all that weight back up again? And they dock with the command module and they. Fire a rocket, but they also they jettison the um, the lunar lander. And it's funny because a couple of after a couple of missions they left seismometers on the moon. So they on purpose jettisoned the lunar lander so it would slam into the moon. So it would make an earthquake so they could measure it. Another time they, they jettisoned it and figured it would drift off into space and it didn't. I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago. They actually found they think uh, one of these uh, modules floating around in a highly elliptical, uh, high orb- orbit around the moon. That's really cool. I hope someday wow. one day, someone goes and finds that thing. That'd be awesome. Right. But now, you, now you're coming back to Earth. Again, I imagine you're going at 25,000 miles an hour again. I don't know what the speed is on the return, but you got to go fast because you don't want to spend that much time in space. That was
0: something I appreciated in the documentaries was that whenever they could, they would actually show this miles per hour they were traveling or the feet per yeah. second they were traveling yes. oh, that's so cool.
1: <laughs> and I'm using miles, not kilometers, even though I should be, but I'm still, because I don't know. It doesn't really matter. If I said 25,000 yeah. kilometers an hour, 25,000 miles an hour, what's the difference? It's really fast. So again, they're coming back to Earth and the Earth is spinning underneath them. And They're just coming back to Earth, coming back to Earth. The Earth is spinning, spinning, spinning. And when they finally hit the Earth's atmosphere, they're like over Siberia, something like that. I mean, how do they know that if we hit the atmosphere at this speed over Siberia, we're going to land in the Pacific Ocean, right next <laughs> to right. these the ships that will rescue us? And they did. And it was brilliant. And we made history. And I was alive. I don't remember this, but I was at least alive. <laughs>
0: right. So, something I was thinking of was, yeah. did they pass out when they were traveling that fast out of the atmosphere or coming back into the
1: atmosphere? No. You know? No, they did not.
0: For some reason, I thought I had been told that they had. Uh, no. Do you, do you know if that is even likely to happen? Has it ever happened with any astronauts?
1: I would be surprised if it never happened. Okay. Um, but no, it, it, um, they, first of all, these guys are conditioned to, to withstand G-force. So half of these guys are test pilots. Um, but the, the rockets, they build them on purpose with a certain amount of acceleration because you know that someone is not going to die inside it and they probably won't pass out either. They can make them go faster, but that would not be good for the people on board. Okay. Um, But just like, I remember hearing, um, oh, if you ever fell off the Grand Canyon or if you ever fell off the Empire State Building, you you pass out before you hit the bottom and and you wouldn't even... (laughs) I heard it so many times and one day I realized, wait a second, parachutists don't pass out. (laughs) You're not going to pass out. You'd, You'd be awake the whole time getting closer and closer to the ground. But yeah, so, you know... You hear this stuff and you, you accept it because some kid on the playground told you this, and then as an told you, are like, oh, that that's not true, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> no, no, I don't. In fact, there was a, um, oh man, I don't remember if it was in a movie or not. But at one point, the mission control they read off the heart rates either during or right after the launch of the three astronauts, and like you know, Collins was one twenty, and I don't remember, I don't remember which of the two was the other one. And someone else was at hmm. If I get it wrong, someone's going to get mad at me. <laughs> I'm going to say Armstrong was at 100 and Aldrin was at 80. <laughs> Had to be a launch on a Saturn V. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> right. So, yeah, no passing out either.
0: I, I could not have done that. I can tell you now.
1: Oh, I- I'm sure I would not. Uh, I-, I-, I would not remain conscious on the way up. There's no way. But there you have it. Wow. That is a quick and dirty, no holds barred, but not a lot of detail, history of Apollo 11.
0: I think a lot of people have the details from a smattering of different school lessons or documentaries they've come across. Yeah, But it's nice to think about this sort of thing. A fascinating piece of our history and the film totally worth watching if you want to revisit the Apollo 11 mission too. Thank you everybody for joining us on this quest from here and to the moon and back again. If you found this episode interesting in any way, please consider sharing it with your friends and family so you can get some new listeners. This episode's links and show notes are available in most podcast players with the show, but you can also find them at our website. That's nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 66. If you want to get Equinox Plus, You can get our bonus episodes from that and a link to that is in the description with this episode. You should also check out biblical genetics, which I see. I'm getting tongue tied today. Yeah. I was doing this earlier for the article podcast too. Hmm. So you should also check out Rob's other project, biblical genetics, which is uh, going great and strong. He's got a new video, right? Right, Rob? You got a new video?
1: Yeah. In fact, I just filmed one today. Fantastic. editing it.
0: Yep, biblical genetics is also available on facebook and youtube wherever you want to get his show and you can join in the discussions uh uh, chat it up with people there about biblical genetics and if you want to find me i'm at jcs darnell on twitter or take a listen to my other podcast hi-fi which is also available from night owl until next time goodbye rob goodbye joe you've been listening to equinox One of these days, we ought to just have like a uh, a heart rate monitor for us on the show, see what our heart rate is before we start, and then like right after, and then right at the end. Hmm. Share that in the after show, because hmm. people want to know what our heart rate's doing. I, I, know they, I know they get excited anytime they listen to the podcast.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what to say. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some snappy little comeback thing, and I can't think of anything. Sorry, right, yeah. That's possible.
0: If if they're as cool as cucumbers, they probably should look into the astronaut cadet program.
1: If they're cool as cucumbers, that means they're sitting on a slab in the morgue, man. You don't (laughs) want to do that. (laughs) Okay. Maybe not that cold.